Almighty God, you are the source of all good. Lord, we live in a land that has been blessed in so many ways. We have so much more that we even need. We've been blessed by your abundant grace so much more than we deserve. And we're blessed by your word and your spirit, without which we would be lost in a world that is losing its anger and drifting. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to gather in person to worship you, to look into your word. We recognize that even this is a privilege we cannot take for granted. And so we want to, to not take this lightly, to approach your word with reverence, with hunger and with a thirst. Because we don't know how many more opportunities we'll have. We ask that you would speak through your broken and weak servant, but by your spirit that you would touch and encourage each heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whereunto 
Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Read to the end of the chapter. Eternal Father in the heavens, thou Lord God Almighty, you are the creator of all things that we see and do not see. And we have just seen a fraction, a minute fraction of your creation. Your creation that manifests your glory. Your creation which, when you had made it through the agency of the Lord Jesus Christ who executed that plan of creation, we are told, and made man in your own image, the crown of your creation, you said it was good. And you said it was very good. Oh Lord, we bow before your majesty. We bow before your power and your awesomeness. We bow before your holiness. We bow before your mercy and grace. For your loving kindness, your hesed. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us ungodly. And where would we be if it was not? 
John 4, that Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh Lord, for all these things we are grateful and thankful, but especially for the shed blood of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice, a propitiation, a sacrificial atonement on the cross of Calvary, and who tasted death for every man, who died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, your, your beloved word tells us. O oh Lord, indeed we bow before thy throne of grace in thanksgiving this morning. Though it commemorates the, the couple of centuries ago when the Pilgrim Fathers landed on the shores of America, and gave thanks for your providence, your protection. Oh Lord, we need to give thanks every day for who you are and what you have done for us. Father in heaven, we pray that there would be none unthankful none ungrateful, young and old, rich and poor, well and even full of infirmities of the flesh. Because you are God and you are on the throne and you care for our souls. As your word says that we are to give you all of our petitions because you care for us. Father, we pray and give you thanks this day as we come together as a congregation, as your priesthood, as your holy nation, and as your per peculiar people of possession that you have purchased with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We give thee thanks, praise, adoration, worship, to honor and worth, that you are worthy, and worthy is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world for our sins. Oh Lord, but help us not to be only thankful in, in lip service, in word, but with every fiber of our being, every day of our lives, every day of our lives, in good times and bad. To honor thee with our faith that we believe in this almighty God that made heaven and earth and gave his son for our sins. That we honor thee, Lord, with our obedience, with our faithfulness, with our trust of your promises that you have given to us in your word. Oh Lord, I pray that this morning hour, we pray that this morning hour your word will come to us in its simplicity and its power. That you would reveal more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's revealed from, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And especially those that have not yet surrendered their lives to you. 
Oh Lord, we pray that they would not be the Romans one people that loved the creature more than the creator. We pray, Lord, that they would, as we've been studying in the past couple of weeks, learn from the mistakes and the errors of the past, of those that have taken their lives into their own hands, of those that have rejected your law, of those that have decided to make their own path through life, Found miserably. Oh Lord, we pray that your word, is, which is life giving, which is the power of God unto salvation, will penetrate the hearts that are here and that are not here, that may be listening over the cyberspace and in every other church, Lord, where your word is preached in its truth and simplicity, that many more sons will be brought unto glory for your honour. Father, we pray that. You'd give an utterance to dear brother as you would proclaim your word. That no word will be found fallen to the ground. But they will be attentive with ready and willing hearts on good fertile soil to receive that seed. Which is able to grow and bring forth fruits of 30, 60 and 100 fold. Lord, we are mindful for those that are suffering in our churches, of our loved ones, wherever they may be. We pray that you would be with them, be their comfort, their strength. There are some that are at death's door. And only, Lord, you know where they will end up. You know their destiny. And it is in your hands, and we believe that whenever we are in your hands, we are in the best place possible. So we pray you be with them. As Paul said, whether I live or die, he's content. And whether he lives or dies, he just wants to glorify God in his body. He wants to give honor and glory to the living Christ. For him to live is Christ and to die is gain. We pray you comfort them. You pray, we pray that you visit them behind closed doors. That you give them solace and comfort. You are the God of all comfort. And that where it is your will that you will heal also. And give them the strength that they need to continue serving you for the time when you will call them home. And Lord, we who are supposedly healthy, help us not to take for granted the time you've given to us. That we are to redeem the time because the days are indeed evil and more evil than they've ever been. We pray that we may serve you faithfully with the time that is put into our account, which is just ticking away. Help us not to be involved with mundane things, with futile things, with worthless things, with things that will profit nothing but be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to be moved to serve the living God, the most awesome being this universe has ever known, the only one and true righteous God, and to put away the, the trivia, the toys, the games, the entertainment, and to apply ourselves fully for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, because people are perishing everywhere. People are dying while we are playing. 
and entertaining ourselves. Oh Lord in heaven, we pray you be with the lonely, with the widows, with the orphans, with the shut-in. And help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet to visit them, to remind them of the goodness and the grace and the caring Father that they do have. We thank thee, we praise thee, as we commend the rest of this service and day to your care and keeping, as we pray in Jesus' name. Sometimes it's a temptation to think this is a block of time in a week. It's more than that. We're not guaranteed much more time in this building. We know that that can be taken away from us. It has already this year. We don't know if we're going to have more time Personally, our lives can be snuffed out so suddenly that it has happened. We don't know if the candlestick of this church can be taken away. Sober thing we don't talk about a lot. But in Revelations, the Lord admonished certain churches to repent for their their place, their light-giving place would be removed. I guess I'm saying we can't presume that things are just going to keep going the way they've been going. We need to talk, take stock. And we need to redeem the time as a dear brother prayed. We need to take perspective tell you 
you the gospel is a stumbling block. The gospel is offensive. Don't tell people the gospel. They will be hurt. You will be exclusive. You will be putting down people, making them feel bad, because part of the gospel is telling people that they're sinners. And that's offensive. It's not inclusive. It's not tolerant. It doesn't make everybody feel like they're okay already. But really, the gospel is the good news. Because it can truly save us, those who believe, and it's for every culture, in the simplicity of childlike trust. But in contrast, as we read in verse 18, the wrath of God, the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against the ungodly and righteous of those who hold, or the, the Greek word there is, is hold down, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppressing the truth, knowing something is true, but not wanting to deal with it, putting it down out of your vision, out of your sight, because it's an inconvenient truth. It doesn't fit. Like, for example, the truth about sin about there being a God who will bring us to account one day and who will judge us. And that just rubs against our society that wants everybody to feel good, nobody to feel excluded. That, that the hope is that if we get rid of any moral judgment or say you can make up your own, then you know, you can't judge anybody else and everybody doesn't have to feel bad anymore. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because even as we try to remove the moral absolutes, the the, that God has given us and try to, 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 to blur distinctions and change laws and think our activist judges are going to actually keep us from feeling guilty for doing things. It doesn't work because we replace, we are, we're moral creatures. We have this sense of right and wrong and we'll just change what we feel guilty about or, or we feel guilt there is. And in fact, it's in the literature. People have this problem even even that was what uh, um, Freud was said was our biggest problem is guilt. And people aren't happy because they feel guilty. And, and if we change the moral standards, you, you know, the most extreme, you know, you've got these people saying, you know, you don't even have to feel obligated to your children. You know, I, the, the author is writing that, you know, um, don't feel, I don't need to feel bad that I'm not putting my son's needs first. I need to first put my need to be self-actualized and, and to be, you know, fulfilled. But you know what? She feels guilty when she's not putting herself first or, or allowing these things. Whatever standard you put in there, okay, we're not feeling guilty about murdering millions of babies, but we're feeling guilty because we're the kind of vehicle you drive, or what you do with your recyclables, or, or what you um, 
you know, with, with, with reducing your carbon footprint enough, or have you really given enough to alleviate suffering in the world? Could you have given more? Could you take in someone? There's always more you could be doing, and people live with this guilt. And there's no answer. They thought that by getting rid of God's standards, they wouldn't feel oppressed and guilty, and, 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 and yet they do. Of course, in the gospel, there is an answer. In the gospel, there is someone who understood your sin and just wants you to be honest, to not hold it down and suppress and pretend and, and, and think that by creating your own narrative, you can get away from it, that you can repent and Jesus came and substituted in your place to pay for that price. There is, there is grace which there is not in the morality of this world. There is no grace. The other is condemned without hope and without discussion, guilty without any trial. According to whatever rule, the us, let me see, the reason why People feel this guilt. They don't turn to Jesus. They don't want to admit the truth of their sin and call it for what it is. So how can they escape? First, we try to change the rules. That doesn't work. Then you can play the victim card. You see, the victim card saves you because, because if you're the victim, it's not your fault. It's all the other person's fault. And, and instead of Jesus being the person who takes on the wrath and the guilt, it's the other, the oppressor, the person who has hurt you, who now becomes the scapegoat upon which all the animosity and guilt is directed. Not just the guilt, but unfortunately also the hatred. And we live in such a society. People burning down cities and shooting each other in the streets because there's the other. And they're all reinforced thanks to technology. You get your feed and you can't believe how someone could think of it any other way and it's all that other side's fault. Technology might amplify it, but there's human nature underneath it that doesn't want to face our own sin. Part of what I was reading about this denomination struggle is, you know, that the more sophisticated, the more urban, the more uh, educated, the more they left their simple commitment to a childlike faith in the gospel. And the more they assimilated into the cultural ideas to the point where now uh, they, they take the very same principles that their founders laid out that we are we're not going to allow the, you know, the government to impose on our conscience. We want to have the freedom of conscience to follow God. But they founded it, interestingly enough, 
this is the, the Brethren Church that, you know, Matthew 18 was one of the reasons why they felt they had to leave the pietist movement, which was about let's let's worship God, have a real experience with God, but they didn't they, they didn't have any structure. They didn't have any church that gave them any accountability. So we need accountability, otherwise we can't do Matthew 18. And so they that was their founder. We are not we're gonna be free to follow the primitive, the word of God and become a primitive church rather than a you know hierarchical church. We see the abuses of that. Sorry for the historical aside here. But the point was, they went, they took that, and nowadays it gets reinterpreted by the pressures of society to say, oh, there's no force in religion, so we can't tell anybody what they're doing is wrong. It's not that we're free to follow the word of God, it's that anybody's free to do what they feel like, and if they feel like you know, we should have, uh, you know, homosexual preachers, that's fine. If they feel like we should have open communion, if they feel like, you know, this sin, you know, there, there's, there's no longer any church order, any church discipline. And it starts with, you know, let's be to tolerant about sin and let's leave it between that person and God. We know it's wrong, but it's between that person and God. And then within 10 years later, it's, no longer anything that the church holds. They also were against, for example, taking up guns and fighting in war, and then, you know, along comes World War II, and they said, okay, well, you know, if you go, you're not, you know, and fully in accord with with the church, and but so many went that, oh, well, you know, now there's no stance, it's between you and God. Things get compromised over time when we allow our sophistication and we think that it's not God making the rules, it's not the Bible making the rules, but we make our own stories. That's what happens in urban environments. In education, people get really good at telling stories. And they start to believe their own stories. That this is the narrative, this is how to see things, this is how to interpret things within this story. And there's no the story, it's all your story or the other person's story and we all make up our own stories and we're allowed to we allow to change the past or revisionist history and reinterpret the past in light of my story of I'm the oppressed victim and therefore I'm not guilty and that happens for both the, the white supremacists and the, the minority group they're both the victim. And it's the other's fault. And that's not the only us them division we have in society. It comes back to suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. The simplicity of acknowledging that there is his story, the one story, the God who created all, the one who has the right to say, whose character is the standard, this is right and this is wrong. And the one who has come with a better story than all the ones we invent to try to make ourselves feel better and we end up making people feel worse. I mean, does, do you really think that people feel better today? Is suicide on the decline? Is depression on the decline? No, it's not working. But the power of the gospel 
deal with the reality and the truth of what is inside of us, of the sin that we have committed. And instead of putting another person as your scapegoat that you can blame, it, Jesus offers himself in your place. But, but you have to take the blame. You have to acknowledge the truth. You have to humble yourself. You have to admit your own thoughts, your own motives, and why you've done things. And to come in repentance to God. And then there is healing. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Because when they knew God, because God is evident in even the created order, in the fact that we are here and we are, the more we understand about the incredible fine-tuning of the universe, of the incredible design and information stored in each one of our cells, the more we understand, it's more obvious that we are the product of a loving intelligence, incredible power, intelligence, and love has produced this universe to sustain life and for us to be here. It's, it's evident, but we tell stories. Tell stories like, you know, we can reinterpret all that through millions of years and lots of evolution, something that seems really unlikely, you know, actually happened and you have this incredibly dynamic, complex, intelligent person like yourself pop up. You know, through millions and millions of years, we tell the story, or we tell the story that Yes, the Earth is incredibly, or the universe is incredibly designed to support life to like within one to ten to the hundred and fifty, like incredible odds. It's impossible odds. If you were playing poker with someone, you'd say they're cheating if they kept doing these odds. But but it's okay because there are infinite number of other universes. We make them that up. We tell the story so that you know that maybe we're just the lucky ones. Out of we, we make up an infinite amount of time, an infinite amount of universe. We make up stories to try to get around what's obvious. The obvious conclusion that every savage in the jungle can understand that, wow, there must be something and someone greater for me to be here, for this world to be here. But because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. So there's the obvious truth about our sin, and there's the obvious truth about our creator, about who he is, and then we need to choose. Do we suppress the truth because it's inconvenient, because it has implications? to our lifestyle, as implications for our comfort, as implications for my guilt, I'm not gonna feel worse. But yet, it's actually the only way you get to wash with the blood of Christ those stains. Trying to make the whole world colorblind to those stains is not the solution. Washing them with the blood of Christ is in. To do that, to that end, we need to then humble ourselves and be thankful. Why is why the word thankful? It's clearly not a glib uh, response of politeness. We're talking about a heart set of acknowledging that I 
that I have has come not by my rugged individual innovation and hard work that I'm entitled to. No, it's by his gracious hands that he's given me the brains and the energy and the health and the ability to, to prosper in this place, which I've been given so much that I did not do. And I have to acknowledge it's not about me. It's not about the creature, but rather the creator, right? As we focused on the gifts, but the giver. And as we recognize our indebtedness, not only for our existence, but for the hope, the solution, the gospel, the only thing that has the power to deliver the people around you that are in pain. It's not an optional thing. It's not some cultish thing we keep within these walls that we like to talk about because it keeps us close. It's something this world needs because they're dying out there as the brother prayed without hope. Drowning in their own guilt, inventing all kinds of lies to try to get them out of their negative feelings and not knowing that there's a truth that can set them free. And, 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 and you know, became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was dark and professed themselves to be wise and became fools. We talked about how our sophistication ends up playing against us as we use our imaginations to come up with lots of alternate facts to the ones that are clearly around us in general revelations and written for us in special revelation, the Word of God. And, and the decline, the depravity, I don't think I need to spend time. What you read here, you read in the newspaper about how people get all confused. They don't keep God's distinctions. They don't keep promises. They don't honor their parents. They don't honor law. And they actually start to enjoy evil. Not only watching it, but, um,
the mess we're in. And he calls us, you and I, dear brother and sister, not to play church, not to go through certain root rituals, but to go into the world and to bring hope in the gospel, which is a stumbling block, but, but people need to stumble and fall so that they can be healed. We can't, we can't mark it and sweet talk and water down the gospel until it's socially palatable and get people in. No, no, the gospel is a stumbling block because we have to humble ourselves. You can't get a proud person in through the eye of the needle. That neither the, the rich who trusts in his riches, there has to be a humbling to get through that eye of the needle, to enter into the kingdom of God. And so we need to risk rejection, the reproach of Christ. That's what it says in Hebrews that, that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt, which he could have had, but he gave it up in order to identify with the people of God and suffer the rejection. And and, and, and the wander in the wilderness. And, and, and then two chapters later, it says, you know, let's, let's, let's go with Christ outside the gates, outside the acceptable. It's a cost. And up till now, maybe we think we've been able to get away without making a choice. Maybe up till now, in in my generation, clearly, my parents' generation, they had to make a choice. They had to choose whether they were going to follow God and go to prison for their convictions and will suffer the loss of everything, or whether they were going to, uh, you know, prosper and, and be socially acceptable. But in, in, in my day, it was socially acceptable to be a Christian here in this country. And, and I didn't have to choose. And I could be a respected professional as well as be a Christian. And, and it seemed like I could have it all. But I don't know if that's going to continue that way. And there is some insidious danger in that. At some point, we need to choose Christ and to embrace even uncomfortable things. Risk, maybe, our job to share the truth, to risk our loss of resources to help someone, to risk relationships, because our Lord risks all to come. No guarantee that I wouldn't reject him, I did, and many do, and his heart's broken by that because he loves them, and his heart breaks as he sees them struggling and drowning in their guilt, a guilt for which he paid the ultimate price. And they still choose not to admit the truth and suppress, suppress it. But we, God calls us to enter in, enter into that redemptive story. It's a costly but he told us, said, take up the cross. That's a cost, as we heard recently.
I reacting to the rejection, the cost, the pain, or is my focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for me and how all this suffering is nothing compared to the glory. But not only that, to, to be in His presence, to hear His well done, good and faithful servant, to, to know I bring joy to His face even when I suffer pain here on this earth. Which one am I focused on? What am I motivated by? Too often, too often I confess I allow myself to be, to react to the moment, to the circumstances, to maybe the rejection I feel or the fears that I feel, and I'm not thankful. I'm more focused on the creature rather than the creator. We're not just talking about perverse sexual sin or, or, or some, some awful thing. Focusing on the creature rather, rather than the creator can be my choice when I choose focus on how I feel and, and how the, and how my circumstances are, are, are negative and what can be instead of focusing on the Lord who saved me, who's in control, who, who for whom, you know, this is so small and he has, he's with me through it. And I think of the apostles and acts who rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. I So I want to challenge us that we take first of all for the believers that, that we keep this candlestick burning through the simplicity of the childlike faith in God that shows when we even go through adversity and uh, that we care enough about a lost world that we would shine this light, not put it under a bushel. I want to challenge those who have not yet bend the knee in thankfulness to, to the Lord who's died in their place who are still running from the truth. Please. Open your eyes. You're not the first to go down this path. You're not the first to suppress truth and try to pursue pleasure and avoid pain and, 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 and try to, to live a carefree life without God. Look what has happened through, through millennia, through civilizations, from Greeks and Romans and all the way on. Look what's happening in your civilization to those people who put these things first, to worship the you don't want to do that. I plead with you in Christ's stead, turn around. You're not helping yourself. The goal you seek, you are destroying. Please receive the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God's salvation to everyone that believes.